Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Chalk Talk with D, T, and D. I'm your host, Danny Shaw. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Shaw. Welcome back, guys. Another week, another set of shocking results, and lots to talk about. On this podcast, we do have all things sports and sports-related. And let's get right into it, Tyler. Starting off with the Women's World Cup. Semifinals matchups, or sorry, the quarterfinal matchups and round just finished up today. And uh, some shocking results. Yeah, um, Australia beat France. The the host continued to have a run at it. Um, England, England was able to triumph versus Colombia without Lauren James, their superstar after that red card that she suffered in the game against Nigeria for stepping on the opponent. And, um, um, let's see. And you have, um, Spain, Spain going to be playing, um, what the, uh, yes, Spain, 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 Spain beat the Dutch. Um, in a game that uh, Spain controlled, but the Dutch were able to find their way into it eventually. I think most surprising of all, in the second quarter final, the Japanese yeah, the, run the, of dominance finally ends, and they yeah, kill the, out the the team that looked like the best team in the World Cup so far <laughs> against in Japan. Sweden. Well, you know, Sweden dominated the game um, from from the from the start of the game up until like the 60 minute mark, Sweden had control of the entire game. Didn't allow Japan to really get on the ball. It, it, around the 60 minute mark, Japan finally got themselves into it. But, 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 but by that time they were already down two nothing. And then some, some rather unfortunate things. They, they hit the post a couple times, hit the, uh, missed a penalty, had a free kick that so nearly went in. Got that first goal, but we were just unable to quite get that second equalizer. I to say, the luck, but, the luck seems to be with the Swedes. Once again, uh, another game where, like you said, they did this game, unlike the United States game, they, they did dominate. Um, well, they, did, they controlled possession for 60 minutes of the game, so for about two-thirds of it. Um, but still, their goalie made some great saves, Musovic, and uh, and some luck with the post. Yeah, but the they were able to come out on top. On. So they they will face Spain, and um, that's going to be a very interesting matchup, Spain and Sweden for sure. Little little defense versus offense. Well, I think it's it's a matter of set pieces. Sweden has been the most dominant team on set pieces in this in this World Cup so far. So it's it's really a matter of set pieces there. Um, so Spain ha- is going to have to be able to defend that. Um, and 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 for Spain, uh, offensively, they're going to have to find a way to be able to get players like Aitana Bonmati involved, um, Pere Luella. Um, involved on the outside, um, um, 
J- Jennifer Moso involved as well. People, people that like that are going to have to get involved in order to bypass Sweden's defense and win so that I think game. We're going to have to find uh, creative ways to break down the uh, the middle of that Swedish defense for yeah. sure. Because I don't, I don't know if they're going to be very successful crossing balls in because of the height of Sweden. It, it, it'll be tough to really cross good balls in and try to get contact on it um, with the height of the Swedish defense. Um, and then the other game, England versus uh, um, England versus um, Australia. No, England, it's good. Not you know. It was Australia and France. England versus. No, I mean, I mean the the semifinal game, England versus oh. Australia. That it's gonna be. Um, I I think it's it's gonna be a good game. I think for Australia, they they have to hope that Sam Kerr is actually healthy. Um, because she she just came off the she came off the bench again today. She ended up playing like sixty minutes because it went into penalties, but I I, I do think that they're gonna want to hope that she's able to play the full ninety. Absolutely. Um, hopefully, because because I think Australia is gonna want to was gonna want to get off to a faster start versus England. They're not gonna want to fall behind early, um. So they're they're gonna want to try to improve upon. I, I mean they. They had because they had their chances against France today. Um, Mary Fallow, in particular, had her shots against France, but w- was unable to put them in. And uh, honestly, they they got a little bit lucky in the end because France also had their chances and they they were unable to put theirs away. Um, so I think Australia is going to have to be more clinical in front of goal because I I think that if England gets chances like that, they'll they'll probably finish them. So it's going to be harder for Australia. I would agree. I think England, England had a, you know, even though they didn't only scored two, uh, I think that in this quarterfinal match against Colombia, uh, England certainly had their best showing of uh, the tournament in terms of chances created uh, against quality opposition. They definitely looked like they well, were getting they, a in- lot of good shots on goal. Uh, and, Having to make the Columbia keeper work, so yeah, no, England, England looked good. Although I do think Columbia suffered a little bit when their center back went down with an injury within like the first seven minutes. Yeah, they had to, they had to make their first sub of the they had to make their first sub of the game um, when Carolina Arias went down early. That hurt. That uh, that that hurt um them, but. And I mean, Colombia, Colombia had their chances too. Um, the the the, fir- the the first goal that they scored to take the lead might have been a little bit lucky. I don't know if it was a cross or a shot. I mean, it, it looked like it might have been a shot, but I mean, from the position that she was in, I don't really know. And I think it was a shot. It was just kind of a poke in, sort of you know, goalkeeper. Well, yeah, the the goalkeeper the goalkeeper was off the line, just chipped it, chipped it over the head, and the hand of the goalie. Um, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, England held Linda Caicedo pretty pretty well in check. I mean, she got on breaks a couple times, but 
I mean, overall, they she they held Linda Caicedo pretty pretty well in check, um, and that helped them win. So, uh, quite an interesting set of semifinal games. You have you have really three newcomers. Um, even well, Spain, it's not a newcomer it's... in the men's game, um, but three newcomers and and segue in that into talking about the traditional powers that be. Uh, what a World Cup! You have. Just about every one of your your you know traditionally dominant teams on the women's side. Well, it's going to be a new winner this them. year. Yeah, it it's going to be a new winner this year, right? Um, the four teams that had won before Norway was knocked out in the round of sixteen. Germany was knocked out in the group stage. The U.S. round of sixteen, and Japan round of sixteen. Uh, Sorry, uh, quarterfinals. So it's um, it's gonna be a new winner this year. Either either Spain, Spain had ne- Spain had never made it to the semis before, so this is new for them. Um, made it. Australia's never made it to the semifinals. Um, England's made it. England's made it to the semifinals. The the last three World Cups. Um, but they haven't won it. Um, they in in fact they haven't even made the final, so they they could make their first final ever. England. And Sweden, I don't know about Sweden. Sweden. Sweden finished in third place, like back in like the nineties or something. Back in like the the nineties. Um, but they've they haven't finished so well as of late. I was gonna say I don't think they've had great finishes of late. So you know, even them, it's like yeah. In in the I guess the very beginnings of uh, of this kind of women's World Cup, it's beginning origins some success, but yeah, you know for the most part it's uh, fresh blood and even some of the teams that you know were eliminated, uh, teams like Colombia, Nigeria that made the knockout stages. Well, it's uh, just some so, of those so exciting, so exciting. I think you know absolutely in this women's World Cup, just the amount of new talent, young talent, and uh, ascending teams. Well, I think it's just, look at the look at the teams that made the knockout stages and or, or won a knockout stage game for the first time, right? Um, Nigeria was so close versus England to winning oh, a knockout stage game. So close. I mean, they... I, I mean, I could argue that Nigeria outplayed England in that game, but it was... Portions of it, absolutely, they did. Un- unfortunately, <laughs> when it came down to penalties, they un- when it came down to penalties, and they kind of lost their nerve. But Nigeria played really well versus England. They I, they deserved a win there. I mean, they they deserved a win, but weren't able to get it done. Still, though, they played really well. Colombia made the quarterfinals, farthest they've ever gone. In only the, in only their third ever World Cup, they've only been to the World Cup three times. Um, Jamaica. A team who had financial issues because their football, their football federation wouldn't even support their women's team, so it it took crowdfunding from um, a bunch of people to even get them there. Um, so I want to talk about an amazing story. I, I uh, it, it, outside of just the the football aspect of it, you know what 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 a what an amazing 
showing, and what an incredible story uh, for the Jamaican, you know, the Jamaican women's national team. Like you oh, said, for sure. weren't even supported by their own federation, so it was crowdfunded to get them to uh, to crowdfund to get them to Australia and New Zealand to the to the host countries. For sure, absolutely. Uh, and and in that, just getting there, uh, really, really displaying a really quality showing. Uh, well, they they played really well as a team. All to- I mean, they they were the they gave up they gave up two goals all tournament long. No, 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 no one. Sorry, one game, one goal tournament long because. They they tied France zero zero, they then they they then beat, yeah they tied France zero zero they then beat um, they beat Brazil, well no no they 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 tied Brazil as well zero zero, who they but beat, they, it was um, Panama I think Panama they yes Panama they beat Panama, they put a little Concacaf, um so they they but so they they got their. They got their first ever win in a, in a group stage, um, and especially actually after after the the prior the prior um, World Cup, they got beat by multiple goals in all in all of the in all of their games and at the at the twenty nineteen World Cup they gave up a hat trick in all of those games at the twenty nineteen World Cup. A player scored a hat trick against them. Uh, <laughs> in every game at that 2019 world cup. So they, so the, the fact that they came back and, uh, gave up one goal all tournament long was very impressive for Jamaica for a team that had troubles even getting to the world cup because of the fact that they had so little support by the foot, by the football federation. Hey, but you know, it, the, the important thing is they got there and, and once they got there, they showed, some they showed some serious skill and uh, a lot of grit, so it's pretty pretty incredible, pretty incredible story of the Jamaican national team and uh, really impressive showing. M- many many you know whether they were knocked out in the knockout rounds, uh, really impressive showing. I I think collectively you can say for the first time teams there. Oh teams for sure, I mean uh, a, a lot of. A lot of first-time teams got wins, right? Morocco got two wins and made the knockout stages for for a debutante. That's really impressive. The Philippines got a win. Got a win. Um, and like even the even the debutantes that didn't get wins, they were pretty. I mean, Haiti Haiti didn't get a win, but I mean, in the games that Haiti played, they they looked pretty good. I mean, they just they got a win at least one of those games. I'm they just they just weren't able to. Stuff. Yeah, they just weren't able to score, but um, in terms of creating chances, Haiti's players, Haiti's players created a lot of good chances, and um, they they have a talented player too, nineteen uh, year old Dumune. Uh, she's talented. She's very good, uh, Dumune. Absolutely. So it's just you know, showing by these teams, and um, hey, how 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 big of volumes does that speak Tyler do you think to the health of the women's game 
in the fact that so many debutante teams and so many first-time teams, even if they didn't win or even if they didn't get advanced, they they really displayed some great skill and they really showed out well. Oh, huge, huge for sure. Um, it it showed it showed the absolute development of the women's game, something that we haven't seen before. Um, just the the fact that there's not there's going to be a new winner this year. The fact that there were eight debutantes um, that put up good fights at this World Cup. It it showed so much growth for the game. Um, and, and, and I think the reality is we've seen so many new stars be born at this World Cup, whether it be Lauren James or Linda Caicedo or um, even though Japan even though Japan got eliminated, Hanata Miyazawa was spectacular for Japan. Um, players like that, uh, Dumune, the, the fact that the fact that there were players from these countries that just really showed out at this World Cup, I think was was great to see. Speaking of the World Cup, how do you think the U.S. responds in the next four years? You know, I think first you got to start with you. You, I really think you need to take a serious. Well, number one, I think there needs to be coaching change. Um, you know, like I, I've said earlier, and I've said to you in previous conversations, um, I think they need to get rid of their coach. I think they need to sort of overhaul their roster. Um, you know, players like Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan have done a great job over, uh, you know, like an approximately 10 year, decade long stretch. Um, that air's over for the United States. So I wipe the slate clean. You get a new coach. Uh, you gracefully, you know, tell some of your bedroom players, even if I, you want to come back, sorry, you've had your time. Um, we're going in a different direction. And I think you really have to take a look at your youth program. I really think that, you know, much like what has always been the men's game, I think that unless the United States really examines uh, how to better develop the youth program, ultimately, the rest of the world will not only catch them the game, but it will pass them. I agree. The American soccer model, regardless of men or women, I just don't think works. You know, it's not the best way to develop world-class soccer players. It gets yeah. great athletes, don't get me wrong. But it doesn't... It, it falls short significantly in the technical aspect of it in the actual soccer uh acumen that is really more important to developing world-class players and world-class teams well so i mean because the biggest difference in these things right is american players still go to high school and go to college and and play like that these European players are going into academies at like eight, nine years old and spending years at these academies developing all their skills and being prepared to to eventually be called up to the senior team and play for the senior team. 
and it's so that they're, they're getting they're just they're playing against these players that are that are going to be the guys they play against for years to come in Europe. But Meanwhile, they're playing against competition that is taking their game as a profession, and I know that there's certainly, particularly in this country, uh, there would be a lot of people that would say, "Well, but that's." You know why would you do that? You're, you're robbing these girls of uh, of some really special formative memories in their lives as as people. That you know, taking the soccer player out of it, um, and I'm sure that that there would be some arguments and a pushback. But uh, ultimately, in a sport like soccer, and really in any sport or anything in life, true greatness requires sacrifice. Yeah, and so yes, it's uh, I, I it's a tough maybe some recommends a tough pill to swallow because um, because unlike the men's game where there's a more lucrative I guess lucrative financial gain and there's a more lucrative financial pathway to sacrificing those formative experiences. Um, there's not that on the women's side still yet. Well, there's not that yet. If there's not that yet, we're getting there. We're making progress, but it's not that same level quite yet. So I understand the argument, but again, unfortunately, um, you have to roll the dice. You have to take that risk. If you, if they still want to be, uh, at the elite level soccer, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think. Well, I think not for a long time, and, and well past our lifetime. Just the sheer fact of them being the U.S. and having the just massive pool of players and, and athletes that come out of their high schools and the colleges and out of their pipelines. I think they're always going to be good. I don't think that's ever going to change. But if we're talking about true uh, championship contention. You know, U.S. soccer needs to really now look at the women's side uh, of 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 sort of their game and of really development. And yeah, they need um, to come together, I think, with a lot of the club teams because uh, U.S. soccer, you know, to their credit, has tried recently to implement a more European style, um, style. Well, so so that's the thing, right? So some of the acad some of the academies in like MLS, um, m- going to more to the men's side. Some of the academies in in MLS have started to um have these development programs um that that do start off younger, like they do in Europe, um, like um. FC Dallas has produced some players um, recently. Um, Philadelphia Union have produced some players recently. Um, so it's it's the it's so it's, it's the the academies in the MLS are, are trying to get better. Uh, speaking of the academies in the MLS, how big of an impact do you think Messi will have on that whole thing? Enormous. I mean, gosh, he, you know, you want to talk about a guy, an impact. We're talking about impact, and we're talking about all these things. 
you want to talk about, I think, a, an impact that will, frankly, I think it's going to elevate the league. I think what's, the, I think Messi's rival is going to kind of predate, and you're going to start to see maybe not guys in their prime that could start and, and you know, ease, right, I don't know, guys that could start and make significant contributions to European clubs. Maybe those guys won't um, start going over the MLS. But I certainly think with with not only the arrival, but just the immediate uh, soccer impact that Messi has had, not just on himself and his own stats, but on the whole entire team of Inter Miami. I certainly think this is a really great optical look for the league. And I, and I think it's a, a pitch now you can sell guys that maybe are in the twilight of their careers. They're not, I don't know, they're not as old as Messi, but say they, they've kind of recently taken a, a peg and a step down. Um, I think that, that the financial investment that you're going to start to see more clubs willing to make at the MLS level yeah, but I think you could absolutely. Start some some guys that are that may be on their twilight but guys that are just lost a little bit of a step uh, would be intrigued by the possibility of regaining some form and maybe playing a slow, slightly lesser competition, but uh, contributing. Um, on no, absolutely. Absolutely, but also, what about Messi's impact with the youth academies? I mean, I think it's enormous all the way around for the league. I just, you know, like I said, he he's not only on the field, he's taken a team that was not very good, and they instantly elevated their program. They've instantly been a much better team. Um, They're selling out stadiums. You know, almost every venue that they're going to. People are coming to pay and see Messi. That means families are coming. Young kids are seeing a player and that they can then have a, 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 a visual and like an up close of person aspiration to. I think it's it. I the move is uh, the move to get Messi over to Redmond. I think will pay. Uh, major, major dividends for the whole entire perspective of American soccer and how people view the game and for the financial impact, for the talent pool impact. That's tremendous all the way around. You know, and, and, and we're talking about impact. What about the impact on Messi as a person? Uh, you know, I, I've tuned into some highlights and I've watched some of these games. And you just see the joy. Oh, he looks he looks so much happier. He looks so there. yeah, he looks I mean, so much happier right now. Um for sure. What a he, beautiful win win for not just the league, but for Messi. He's yeah, he looks fun. he looks he's so happy. The game again. Yeah, he he looks happy, um, for sure. Uh, I said it's outstanding all the way around. I think it's a huge win win for both sides and you know, I, I don't know. I, I as much as I, I hate to to say that we need a foreigner to create to to maybe create that that additional thought and to really 
have us as Americans and, and as a federation stop and go, wait a second, go, maybe we need to look at this a little differently. We need to change some things. I think that that is something that Messi is bringing and will continue to bring. And I think it's great. As I said, I, it, it's unfortunate that a foreigner has to do it, but someone has to do it. And uh, I think right now he's the man in the hour to, to do that for a lot of people and for, um, for, you know, for all of MLS. So it's uh, outstanding and tremendous on-field and off-field impact. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I just, I just feel like the impact he'll have on like the on the youth academies of these of these teams is gonna be is gonna be huge because of the fact that, you know, now, now these guys are are seeing Messi play in the MLS and they say, hey, maybe I can maybe I can start my career here, and um. And and really develop themselves as a player, and then and then they can move on to like Europe and stuff like that. But it's it's gonna do huge wonders, I think, for the for the youth academies of all these teams. I also just think you know being in the building with a guy like that and seeing the the preparation and the work that it takes to be as good as him. You know, like I said, I think that perspective shift. I think that's immensely valuable and really great. Just that it's like you you don't have to now go well. We're getting a guy that's in his 35 and, and is not just in the twilight period, but it's really, he's just taking a celebrity tour. You know, we think of, there's other, other than major big name guys that have played in major league soccer. Um, but, you know, David Beckham. Zatani Primer. But those guys were long done with their best football, right? To put it in simple terms. Um, I think that well, yes, Messi is. He's definitely a veteran. Um, I believe he's in his mid thirties, right? Yeah, he's he's, he's thirty six now. Um, thirty six. Um, so he's maybe not his best football is not with him, uh, but still a, a really really great player. You know, but as I said, I just think seeing the the work and seeing the process by which a guy of his caliber. An all-time great. I mean, let's be honest here. I think seeing that on a day-to-day basis, I mean, that in itself is so influential. But it's it's not just him, though. I think people really underestimate the amount of impact that Cristiano Ronaldo has on the younger generations as well. Um, it it's not just Messi. I mean, Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo has some amazing impact on the on the younger players as well. I mean, I mean, obviously he's not in the MLS right now. He's playing in Saudi, but it it doesn't change the fact that his impact is still just as big as as Messi's. Um, Absolutely. And you know he's he's still scoring goals. I mean, he he's still scoring goals for Al Nasser in the in the Saudi league. Um, I, at 38 years old, it's incredibly impressive. It's it's impressive that both of them are still playing. Really, I mean, 38 and 36. The amount of the amount of tackles that they take, the amount of challenges that are thrown against them every game, and yet they they still play and they're, they're still playing at a high level. 
I mean, yeah, but those but, guys, I think they're 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 two well, two of their all time greats, and they're two exceptions that they they've really taken care of their body well. Oh, for sure. I I think yeah, it's um, they've both done an extraordinary job at at keeping care keep uh taking care of their bodies for sure. So it's 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 pretty crazy. Just the impact. I mean, I think in so many ways, I think what you're seeing, both on the men's and women's side in soccer, I hope at least, you never know, uh, you know, humans are humans, but I would hope that what we're seeing um, from a, well, I hope number one that we're tuned in. I hope that as Americans we're tuned in, paying attention, and that, that by paying attention, you know, this year's Women's World Cup and Messi's arrival in Miami and, and Messi in the most. I hope that people are are really seeing the benefits. They're seeing the fruits that can come from from taking soccer serious, from really taking the approach and the perspective and taking it at, at a at a different level. I hope that people can see that because oh for sure for sure i think what we're witnessing is something really really special yeah and ha- but then how about some of the other superstars in, in in world football like like erling holland just just continuing continuing white right where he left off last season two goals in the first game of the season this year for him he's the the guy is a, a scorer. He's a knack and a talent for finding the back of the net. Supremely oh, skilled. Yeah. What what a finisher! Um, I don't know. Guys like Ruling Holland. Uh, you know, um, killing the whole killing Mbappe situation with PSG right now. Um, not not playing because oh, it's a, it's an b- because he wants to leave. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a situation, right? Um, he's as great of a player as Mbappe is. Sometimes he can just be a. I mean, it's he. He's sometimes a hard guy to really be in a locker room with. Oh yes, he does have some length sensibility. I think. I a lot of this, you have to look at his agents and his parents. And I just think that it's a little bit sad that such a supremely talented player, you know, I mean, arguably, he is at the moment, you know, uh, one of the best players in the world, a top three player. Um, but he just is so, at times, arrogant and full of himself. Well, yeah, it, it, it just it, it it hurts the the team. I mean, just like I don't know, he 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 really he really drove Neymar and Messi away from PSG and away from him too. Um, just just the comments that he made that said European football is superior to South American football really drove a wedge in between. The in in between some of the South American players on PSG and and the European players. Um. So he's a, he's a great player, but sometimes he he he's not a great locker room guy, and I I'm not really sure that teams are gonna really. I mean, 
I'm not really sure teams are going to want to pay as much money as PSG wants for for that because he's not he's not the guy that you really want in the locker room to really help your team win. In this, in this day and age where it seems like money, regardless of sport, and finances are are so much tighter with clubs and with teams and organizations, I don't see how you could want to pay a guy that's going to cause that much off-the-field trouble when you could get a guy that maybe is not as talented, not as good, but is significantly more cost-efficient that can yield a similar, similarly respectable production level. I just, well, so I, don't see well, so I think of I think of a guy like I think of a guy like Rafael Leal for AC Milan. R- Rafael Leal is an incredible player, very very talented, very skilled with the ball, good good finisher, good passer in in Leal. But he's he's a lot more amicable in the locker room. He's a, he's a lot more of a team guy, Leal, and I think that's. That's one of the reasons why AC Milan made the Champions League semifinals last year. Um, uh, Rafael Leal. So it, it, I think that's the type of guy that you, that you want on a team. And as great as Mbappe is, he, it just hurts sometimes for for the for the teams that he's on with his his ego a little bit. It's very hard to deal with. Speaking of AC Milan and speaking of a, a player in the locker room, one of our homegrown guys recently made the move from Chelsea. Uh, what do you think so far about Christian Pulisic? Do you think that Milan was the right move? Well, so I, you know, I, I think for both sides, it's a good move. I mean, obviously, he was not enjoying himself at, at Chelsea. Um, he got off to a really good start at Chelsea his first year when... At, um, after the after they resumed play um, from COVID, he had like like eight goals and seven. Ass- he had like eight goals and seven assists after the after the COVID break for Chelsea. He looked really good. Um, his last two three years at Chelsea were, were injury riddled and never got never got back to that same form um, because of injuries and not getting playing time. But I, I think it's a it, it's a good move for Plisic, and I think it's a good move for Milan too. I mean, you you get Plisic at twenty million, you can you can show up the other side opposite of Leal. Um, or you know, if you want to, you can you can play him as like a central attacking midfielder, right? He doesn't he doesn't have to play on the wing. If they want, they can play him more in the middle in a central area, as like a central attacking midfielder. So. There, there's a couple. There's a couple ways. There's a couple ways they can play it out. We'll see which way they go with it, but there's a couple ways. And also, they they went out and they bought Eunice Musa as well, the, another American player. Um, the the midfielder uh, Musa, who's uh, f- from Valencia, who's who's is a very good midfielder, a very good ball control midfielder. So uh, we'll see how what his impact is for Milan as well, but I think overall Milan had a pretty good off season. Um, I think they made the right signings, the signings that they needed to make. Um, so I think it's it it could be a good season for AC Milan and a good season for Plisic as well. What 
as a playmaker. I don't think he's not going to score. He's not going to score very much this year, I don't think. But I think as a playmaker, Plissick will get a lot of opportunities. I think that's more of the role he's for anyways. I think I think that that stretch he had where he was scoring goals left and right, I don't think I don't think that's the truly the I guess the 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 style of player that he is. I think at his best he's just a really great uh Playmaker, as you said, really good creator. Um, the guy that's going to get a lot of assists. And he's going to get a goal in here and there. Well, I mean, when you play when you play across a guy like Rafael Leal, you're going to get your chances. But, but I also think he's just, he's going to be doing a lot of service um, to guys like Olivier Giroud and Leal. He's going to be doing a lot of service into the box. He's going to be doing a lot of trying to pick up the ball closer to the midfield line and and take it and then pass it off to in, into the box to one of the other guys. So I think he'll he'll be more of a playmaker this year, but I think he'll be a good he'll be a good fit for Milan. Plus a we've seen him in preseason already. He's done a lot of really good stuff. Like you said, that playmaking aspect. He said I think he's had a, like a goal or two, but he's had much more impact and in, in assists and even just chances created, possible assists, you know. He's, yeah, he's this year, he's a playmaker. And I just think, uh, you know, just playing him in a role, get his confidence back, like you said, uh, injury riddled last few years for him. Really, he's never been 100% fit and informed. So, well, yeah, so he's healthy and. So yeah, it's it's just you know getting playing time now, and 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 I think for for him it's it's a it's a good thing getting this playing time at Milan, and he can he can build his way into the team. It, it might take a little bit, but he can build his way into the team. And honestly, I mean, AC Milan has a lot of ex Chelsea players. He Plisic has a pretty good connection with some of the players on that Milan team. I mean. Giroud was a Chelsea player who played with Plisic. Ruben Loftus Cheek played with Plisic. So um, there, there, there's some there's some players that that Plisic played with before and has a pretty good connection with that I think I got along well with. that I think can continue to grow as according well. To, according to the reports, um, I know I was reading reading a couple articles and and of the Chelsea signings that uh, the AC Milan that the the Ro- Rotisieri, I might be butchering that. Probably am. Yeah, the yeah the the the, the, the Rotisari. The, yeah, the, I don't know. Rotisari, the, the Rotisari, um, guys, uh, from Chelsea that, by all accounts, uh, Pulisic has a really good relationship with. So, definitely, uh, I think just in a much more comfortable place for Pulisic. Um, you know, just more more stable, and you know, like you said, now it's I think a matter of just getting the play time and and through play and through training, working himself back into uh, back into the form that he's capable of. For sure, for sure, absolutely. Speaking of working their way back into form, let's go and shift over to the PLL. Uh, this week, 
Yeah. We haven't had our games today, but had our games yesterday. How about we talked about him a couple weeks ago? And we talked about how their season's not going so well. Well, got news for you, people. They're coming. Yeah. The, the whip snakes. Yeah, the, the whip snakes are. season around, Tyler. Yeah. They yeah. The, suddenly the... found ways to win, and they're getting hot at the right time. Yeah, the, the whip snakes are back. They're, they're looking like the team they looked like last year for sure. I mean, you know, what? just once again this week, taking down, uh, taking down the chaos and uh, just finding ways to get it done. You know, not as dominant in the past, but finding ways to win. And I still think there's a layer of separation between them and in the top three teams in the league, Crow, or not Crow, uh, Cannons, Water Dogs, and Archers. Um, but finding their stride late in the season this year. And I think if you're Jim Bagnita, you gotta be uh, you gotta be pretty happy right now. Oh, for for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, they, they they've they've just been they've been they've been improving the last couple of weeks. Um, they've gotten better. They they they've won they've won a couple of games in a row now. So yeah, it looks like they've gotten some momentum back in their in their team. Definitely got the momentum back in. They move now to, I believe it's three and four on the season. Um, yeah, four and yeah. Four. It, no, it's, it, they are now four and four on the season right now. Four, and four on the season. So I mean, crowded, crowded room there in the middle of the standings. Um, but the top of the standings. Talk about the top team of the league, the Archers. Oh yeah, it's it's all about the archers right now. They just are doing. They're finding ways to win, dump whichever way they have to do it, and uh, the the finishing aspect I think is so impressive. You know, this year they've always been a team. The archers, these sidelines, not very very talented. You got guys like Grandamet, who this year is a little bit of a reduced role, not a star this much. As in uh, previous seasons, but I think he's a little hampered, a little injured, so they're trying to limit his uh, his minutes. The wind is wear and tear, um, you know. But always been a talented team. Always had a lot of really talented pieces. Just never seemed to put it together. Something would happen from week to week. This year, they're they're seemingly putting it all together. Well I, well, I mean, for them, right? I mean, Tom Schreiber has 33 points on the year. Connor Fields has 27 points on the year. Mac O'Keefe is an gunslinger from the outside for them this year. Really great outside shooting presence. Oh, yeah. Mac O'Keefe has been a sniper for sure. You got, you know, on the Devons then, you got guys like uh, Hossick, and you got their goalie, Dobson, who's been playing very, very well for them. Guys, yeah, no, like, Archers, like, Archers just like, look really good. The guy at the face-off, Mike Sisselberger. 
Yeah, he looks the, really good too. One of the stories of the uh, the season so far. The season so far. I mean, talk about getting a, a, I believe, a rookie. Yeah, he is. He's a rookie. Probably high. Uh, so it's just a, a very interesting look to Sisselberger. Uh, unique, unique styling, but it's awesome. It's really great. And uh, really, really solidifying the face-off for them. And uh, they've just been rock solid this year, the Archers. Uh, such, a, such a tough team to beat this year. Yeah, no, for sure. Very, very tough team to beat. Then uh, in other news, you have the Cannons and the Water Dogs, just two and three, neck and neck. The completely turned around Cannons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Cannons, Cannons worst, team, worst team in the league last year. In, in a spot. Brian Holman just pushing all the right buttons. Yep. We want to talk about impact and hires and new people. What an impact that Brian Holman has had on the Cannons lacrosse club in PLO this year. Yeah, no, for sure. On, on the other end of the spectrum, though, a team that was so good last year in Atlas down at 2-5. and five. Yeah. Not... I don't know, just not like I said, you know, it's amazing that there's that they're so poor record wise when you have without a shadow of a doubt the best face off player in the world and yet they can't seem to Well I and just just, just the talent level that that team has, Jeff T. Um, Jeff T, Chris Gray, Baptiste, Eric Law. Um, and yet they just, yeah, they just, they haven't been able to. Not in sync this year. No. You know, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting, you know, and they have another first year coach this year, Mike Pressler, former Duke well, yeah, former Duke lacrosse coach, then Bryant lacrosse coach. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that that incident many years back with Duke to leave leave the yeah you know, he had to step down, resign from the Duke program. Uh, but first years of PLL coach and not doing so hot. No, no, not not at all. And, uh, It's just it's tough to see, and I guess that brings up an interesting question. You know, <laughs> we always talk about how coaching matters. Seemingly, you could have all the talent in the world, <clears throat> uh, some certain college football programs. I forget to that in just a little bit. 
You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right coach, it just seems like oftentimes it doesn't gel and work together. No, for, yeah, How for sure. How important is coaching, do you think, in the PLL? Year three, um, we're doing some turnover now. You know, may, maybe not as important as it would be in other sports, purely because the PLL, I mean, a lot of these guys are experienced lacrosse players. Um, a, a lot of a lot of veterans, and a lot of these veterans are very good at, co- at like, coaching on the field. They're so a maybe, lot of them are coaches themselves in the offseason, so. Yeah, so maybe not as important as, you know, some other sports, but still important for sure. Um but uh, the, the the veteran presence is also is just huge in the PLL. Uh, the, these veterans are coaching on the field as much as the coaches are off the field. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That's said very well. Yeah, there's a there's about as much coaching between the lines as there is going on on the sideline. Yeah, it's uh, certainly it's tough to see a little bit of a power reversal a little bit of a higher high hierarchical shift in pl this year and in the lacrosse world in the professional ranks and uh speaking of lacrosse i alluded to just a moment ago uh lacrosse's reputation has not always been the greatest um we have certain incidents probably the one that i i would say a lot of People at least sticks out in their mind is the uh, Duke lacrosse rape scandal. Yeah. How do you think, as we start to roll into the later part of 2023, it's it's been you know many years since there's been a, a really major, I guess, black mark on the sport. How do you think uh, lacrosse as a whole? How do you think it's it's being perceived, and, and how do you think it's taken steps to present a much cleaner and, and a much more positive image? Well, I you know I I think it's it's a it's a development in the sport itself. I think. Um, the, the the way the way that the sport has grown into a into a space where now pe- people from all across the country are being recruited has has helped um, ha- has really helped diversify the game and in some ways also helped clean it up a little bit because it's not it's it's not all these it's not all these guys from the same places and all the time it's it's guys from different places across the country that are that are coming together to play as a team it's not not it's not anymore just like the preppy east coast kids you know the that uh, i don't for lack of a better term, that you know had a little bit of a frat boy in them. It's it's not necessarily that anymore. Well, like, and also better coaching, better better coaches, more um more maturity at the coaching level. Um, keep and also 
a more willingness as these coaches to really not just shape these guys, not just shape these these people into lacrosse players, but shape them into good people too. There, there, there's there, there's been a lot more willingness from the coaches um, in in recent years to actually want to mold these these players into not just great players but great people as well. Hit the nail on the head. I think that's that's a hugely important thing, and 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 yeah, like not caring only about the 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 player and the person on the field, but really being vigilant and and really being intentional in making that person off the field, like you said, a good person, uh, uh, an upstanding member of the community of their communities that they'll move into. I think that's uh that's a really important part of it. Well that's um, the other thing, right? It's it's because of that, because of that, these players are are running camps for, for younger kids. They're they're helping young kids develop their skills. They're they're helping get lacrosse sticks into into people that don't necessarily have the same resources as, as other people. Um which has has again helped diversify the game hugely. Um, in For terms of like first day, uh, have been really really immensely helpful in you know getting guys to college and, and getting people from like you said from maybe less uh, affluent backgrounds. Um, you know because. The fact of the matter is, uh, unless those steps are taken, you know, lacrosse, it has a reputation and it's looked at a certain way, and it is a more economically sort of restrictive sport, uh, just kind of by its its natural nature because. Well, you know, there, there, there's a lot of stuff you there's a lot there's a lot of stuff you need, and, and, it, and it can get pricey. You know, a, a, a good a good stick um, can cost up to hundred dollars and more. Well, I, and I mean these days that's just for one part of it. You know, you yeah, are so looking upwards of like two hundred dollars. Yeah, so uh, getting a good stick in a, in someone's hands is is expensive. Um, all the pads and. The helmets are very expensive as well. I mean, getting all that stuff is can be sixty, seventy, upwards of a hundred dollars as well. Um, just getting like gloves and elbow pads and and shoulder pads, very expensive as well. And that's just so just it's. A I mean, that's not even talking about as a goalie. Right? Yeah, no, for for sure, because there's yeah, there's even more for the goalie too. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 an expensive sport, and it's. It's it can be hard to sometimes get the uh, get these this equipment into the right hands, but you know we're do, it's do, we're doing a much better job of it now at getting it into the hands of those people, and okay. and giving them giving them something that they can that they can do, um, being ma- making sure that they can that they can enjoy the sport without having to pay all this money to do so. Um, and it's it's been a great development for it. I think PL is is really at the center point of that. I it just think that 
it's so uh really it's just so influential it's so important and we keep talking today about how much uh professionals and how much you know you know professionals uh giving back to the youth and the community is how important that is in in creating a, a new pool of players a new group of, of kids that want to do you know do what it do what it takes to get a stick in their hand or to start playing around with the soccer ball um, I think that's a big really that's a really big component of that I think PL has been super super influential in in that uh, access. Oh yeah, for, for with sure. With a touring model that is is sustainable and here to stay, you know, uh, we talk about the PLO. We we talk about how we love the touring model. It's not the first touring model that we've seen in in lacrosse or an attempt to professionalize lacrosse. Uh, way back when, uh, with Adrenaline and their, I can't remember what it's called now, but their uh, their like semi-pro touring model yeah yeah they had um you know which was cool but it didn't really reach well they they, they, they just didn't really have the reach that paul rabel does um paul rabel was able to do this and and make it work because of the 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 reach that he has not just within lacrosse, but with with his with his brands and his sponsors. Yeah. Um, so that's how he was able to do this, and it's it's worked out brilliantly um, for him for the for lacrosse as a sport and for for trying to professionalize it. Um, it's it's worked out so well. Certainly has that. Uh, hopefully, continues and lacrosse continues to grow and to evolve. And like I said, we we, we continue to see it shed its uh, frat boy, uh, privileged image or yep. its legacy. Um, so all all really really great stuff. Uh, and you know, speaking of images, speaking of legacy let's get into our final topic of the day let's finish up a little bit of a college football preview and let's kind of go into uh the east coast conferences starting off with the sec yep um, and uh, there's our there's a lot of question marks here well, yeah, yeah. Uh, our, our dad is a Missouri fan. Uh, went to the University of Missouri. He's a fan. He's an all. He's an alumni fan and an alumni program. Um, yeah, it's not going up today, but it's it's shout out to dad. It's hard to be a Missouri fan, as you could yeah. say. Um, but you know, um, there's a lot of question marks in the SEC this year. Um. For 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 Bama, who's gonna be their quarterback? Um, 
no one really knows who their quarterback's going to be. It, it, no one's really stood out so far for them. And, and Another question that you might ask yourself is if they don't have a quarterback, do we see Bama return to uh, to uh, as as one pundit, one confluent expert that I was watching earlier this week characterized it? Uh, do, does Bama, if they don't find a quarterback that they think can uh, can produce a, a produce in a, a balanced way, do they go just back to smash ball? Yeah, we'll we'll and see. Start running over people. Yeah, we'll 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 see. And then and then for Georgia, you know the question mark their defense. I mean. They lost the almost the entire defense that helped them win those two national championships is gone now. Um, so That's for well the- in their quarterback. And listen, I know, well, I know you, and I know a lot of people. We, we love to to discredit Stetson Bennett, but the fact of the matter is, he produced you two national titles, and now I think Carson Beck's going to be good. I I don't think there's a question of what Carson Beck can be, but we, but we have to wait till week one to what are we seeing from their quarterback? Because they got all the skill guys on the outside. You know, that's not a question. But the single caller in your center, who's delivering the football? Another big question, I think, this year for Georgia in their quest for a three-peat. Yeah, listen, no. No one can question Stetson Bennett's success as a college quarterback. I mean, he... I, I was I was critical of him early in his career for sure, but I think his the way that he was able to grow into being a college quarterback was tremendous for Georgia. Um, he he just was he was a he's a great college quarterback. knew what he knew what he was doing to help his team win games. Um, and I so yeah, it's it's gonna be hard to replace him for it's gonna be hard for Georgia to replace him at quarterback. Um Say what you want about him. The guy was a gamer and a winner. Yeah, no, he he won games for Georgia and he and it was a hard listen, it was a hard road for him, you know? He he came to Georgia as a walk on, um, didn't get playing time, went to ju- went to a junior college, came back to Georgia, fought for a spot. Fought, fought for his spot, uh, got the job when JT Daniels went down with injury a couple yeah. years ago. And then he stole the backup from uh, from a, I can't remember what year it was, but from a really highly talented guy that they had that shortly after Stetson took it from and transferred. I can't remember the name. Yeah, no, but it was a, um, it, it was... So yeah, no, he had a hard road, but he he was really good when he got his chance for Georgia. He was outstanding. Um, led them to those two national championships, no question. But yeah, for for Georgia, those those questions, Bama definitely has questions. Um, you know, LSU LSU could be could be pretty good this year. Um, I think that I think that I think that. Maybe the most interesting storyline in the West division this year for the SEC is I think what does Brian Kelly in year two do at LSU? Because uh, I, I think they were a little bit ahead of schedule last year, to be fair. I, I think and, and Brian Kelly had a really good year and I and I think anyone that doubted 
or questioned, is Brian Kelly capable of at the highest level winning? And is he capable of of, of getting right there and knocking on the door? Uh, regardless of where he goes, I think those questions can be silenced. The man yeah, is no, I... absolutely capable of directing any team, whatever conference, to... No, yeah, f- for sure. Um, yeah, Brian Kelly... Brian Kelly had a really good first year at LSU. Um, what does he do in year two? He's got Daniels. He's got a lot of guys coming back. Um, I think it's a team that, like a lot of these talented teams, you got to wait and see with LSU. Put a lot of talent over there. And I just think if there's any team that could, I don't want to say surprise, because I don't think there would be a surprise if they had a really good year this year, but a team that could really shake up their side of the of the conference, I, I think LSU would be that team this year. Yeah, no, I I, I agree for sure. Um, Certainly yeah, shaking L- up with Bama. Well, I I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, L- L- LSU beat Bama last year. Now, don't get me I think Bama ha- Bama has a stronger team this year. Um, I mean, obviously not 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 at quarterback, obviously, but I think just like in terms of like defense, they have a stronger defense this year, Bama. Um, because their defense was, let's be honest, was not that good last year. For Bama, it, really wasn't. it was not. Um, but so I think they they have a they their defense has been I I think showed up um pretty pretty showed up for them. So I think they'll have a they're so they'll have a much better defense. You know, like um, I said, I I think that you might see this year maybe not a full re a full re like a full turning back of the clock. But I think this year you might see, at least at least an attempt, uh, you might see a little bit of uh, old school Alabama in Nick Saban this year. I I I, I could see one hundred percent. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting when you when when people talk to Saban in the offseason. He, as great as Bryce Young is and was for Alabama, he even admitted that particularly last year, they got to Bryce. Centric, they relied too much on Bryce Young, and luckily yeah, no, he faced sure. them in a, in a number of games, um, for sure. Uh, but they got a little bit too Bryce centric, and they relied too much on Bryce Young. I agree. And and, uh, and uh, you talked to him this year. I think I said I think he might bring back that smash ball a little bit, and you might see a more old school Alabama. Particularly if if the quarterback room is unstable as it seems like it's going to be this year, it's really not a guy that's separated there at Bama, and is really head and shoulders placed himself above anybody. Yeah, so, but they but but they might have that guy coming in in the twenty twenty four class and Julian saying the the, quarter, the quarterback out of Carlsbad. But, they they, but they might have year, that guy coming in. But yeah, no. This for, for, the, for this year, the quarterback room is is a little bit questionable for them, uh, which for sure. hopefully I think is gonna be that's gonna be the 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 X factor if if Saban turns back the clock a little bit and, and does a little bit more maybe balance in, in some cases kind of goes goes back to uh, believing in that run game. I think ultimately that's going to be the, the make or break for how good 
is Alabama going to be this year? Are they going to be similar like last year, a two, three loss team? Yeah, but listen, I have no doubt Nick Saban, one of the greatest coaches of all time, will will will, will do what he does, and he'll 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 help Bama bounce back this year. Um, it's what he does. Great coach, obviously. Um, I have no doubt that he'll he'll find a way to to even even if they don't have a very stable quarterback room, that he'll he'll find the way to keep him keep him right there as well. Yeah, and you know, looking on the opposite side of the division, Georgia's side, you know, we talk about questions here, quick questions this year in the SEC. Um, you know, uh, maybe the second second best team in the conference, Tennessee. Again, a, a bucket load of questions for them. A lot of potential, but can Joe Milton replicate for his whole season? the unbelievable performance he had in that Orange Bowl against Clemson. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's, he looks really good in, in, in he looked really good in spring, and all reports said he looked really good, and he's looked really good so far in fall camp. But that's only camp. Uh, we don't really know until week one, until steps on the great guy and gets another team. But You know, it's, it's a very quarterback-friendly system, though, for uh, Josh Heupel. <laughs> Josh Heupel in Tennessee is a very quarterback-friendly system. Especially um, for a guy with the arm talent of Joe Milton. Well, exactly, exactly, right? Especially for guys with the arm talent like a Hendon Hooker or a Joe Milton. It, it's a very quarterback-friendly offense um, and system for, for Tennessee over there. So, yeah, but but we'll we'll see what Joe Milton can, can pull off this year for Tennessee. No, we'll see what weapons does Joe Milton have around him. He's lost a couple guys. Well, yeah, because uh, Jalen Jalen Hyatt's gone. Um, so yeah, he's he's lost a couple Cedric receivers. Or I don't know if Cedric Tillman came back. No, Cedric Tillman's gone too. He can't. He's gone. Uh, you know, the most experienced guy you have there, I believe, it's Brew McCoy. So yeah, it's it's gonna be. We'll, we'll have to see what Tennessee can can do starting the season, but. We'll see. See, and then the last team, I want to take a quick bit of coverage. Uh, you know, see, is the Florida Gators. What, what Billy Napier in year two? They had a really rough season last year. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I honestly think it's going to be really tough for Florida to find any traction right now. Um. I don't really think this is the time for them to find traction in the East. It's going to be hard with, with Georgia having firmly established their dominance over the East side, over the SEC East. um, It's going to be really hard for Florida to try to find a way to build their way back into it. I think. Um, How long does Billy Napier? This is going to take a while. How patient are the 48 or going to be? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, right? I mean, they they had pretty instant success under Urban Meyer. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know how patient they'll be. I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll give them a couple years, uh, probably a couple more years. But after that, I don't, I don't know um, how much more patient they they'll, they'll really be there in Florida. Years, yeah, I mean, Speaking of the state of Florida, flipping over the, 
another conference. The ACC. The ACC and talking about a couple big-time Florida programs. Your your Miami Hurricanes. Miami Hurricanes, my Canes, you. You're two for Mario Cristobal. Uh, Yeah. Rough year last year. Rough year last year. But a really bad 5-7 with some very uh, glaring losses. Uh, Middle Middle Tennessee State was a horrendous loss. Um, Blown out by Duke. I mean, but I mean, Middle Tennessee, they gave up like, they gave up like five plays over 50 yards against against Middle Tennessee State. Five plus plays of 60 yards or more. Versus Middle Tennessee State. It was bad. Um, Yeah, they just, their secondary got exposed last year. Um, They, you know what's interesting? I think their their lack of cohesion, their secondary got exposed because there's a lot of really good individual players that they had. You know, you guys like Tyreek Stevenson got drafted in the league this year, uh, but for whatever reason, just as a unit, did not play very well. No, not not at all. Not except for their two safeties, except for a couple guys, Cam Kitchens, James Williams. Yeah, Both looking like they're having strong. They have strong springs. Going to have their like going to have a strong fall, and uh, once again, we're going to be a couple really bright spots in that secondary for the Canes. But uh, there's there's still a lot of question marks there for Miami. But a couple key additions, especially on the defensive side this year. Uh, well, and 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 offensive line too. Offensive one of their line. one of their biggest weaknesses was offensive line. They picked up. Two really highly rated recruits for that line, for that offensive line. Um, yeah, they picked up a couple highly rated transfers. Ahem, Matt Lee at center. I think it's really gonna, really gonna be a great help for them. Yeah. So, uh, still question marks, but you know, we'll, we'll see what Mario Cristobal can do with them. You too. Well, you know, I think what's interesting is you know you've heard him speak this year. Apparently, apparently the culture culture was. Well, I think we all knew that. I don't think you have to be a Miami fan. The culture was really, really, really rotten last year. Yeah. Um, so they got rid of all those guys. They completely switched, changed over a lot of their coaching staff. Although, so, again, I think I think a big question mark for that team, quarterback. Um, I think Tyler Van Dyke's going to be better. I, just, I think last year was a, a case of on both sides – Really terrible system fits for the players. I think Mario learned his lesson. And I I think this year, just from a schematic standpoint, they're going to be, you know, at least at very worst, um, a step or two better. Because I think they got guys in their coordinators that actually fit uh, much better their their personnel and the players that they have on the team right now. Well, but then also number two, who the the guy the guys that quarterbacks are going to throw to? Because the, the past few years, Miami's receivers have been horrible. Um, the the past few years, I think until until Mario really establishes his recruiting classes, I think it's going to continue to be a question. And and the best answer I can give you is, it's I think it's like every year you got to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see what these guys do against opposing competition. Uh, 
Because, yeah, the, the last few years, Miami's receivers can't get open. They can't catch the ball. It's been bad. I, 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 hopefully, I think if, as long as guys don't get hurt in camp and they stay healthy, um, you know, which I, you guys have been healthier, so it's a good sign. Uh, but we'll see. I, I, hopefully, they can do why. Well. I, I think that... There's potential guys that came in like Tyler Harrell and those kind of guys to, to really do something. Um, so we'll see. I just, you know, wait, we will wait and see. Yep. But, yeah, uh, but, wow. the other, but the other Florida team in Florida State, they could be pretty good this year too, Florida State. Uh, I think so. You know, I, I hate to call, and I hate to be negative, call victories before they even get played, but right now I I don't see a a win for Miami in their annual rivalry game against the Seminoles. But hopefully hopefully they keep it close. I just I just want a competitive game. That's all I'm asking for. But yeah, Forest and Mike Norvell really catching fire. You're seeing the recruiting chops of Norvell. He's a uh, Putting together a couple of glasses and talented roster over at FSU. Uh, arguably, I think you got to look at them as ACC favorites. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, for sure. It's the Clemson and Dabo. A little bit of a, a little slight drop off last year for the Tigers. In their season, we've seen a bounce back this year for Davo. I mean, I mean, I I think so. I I think it'll. I think they'll. I mean, listen. I they looked pretty bad at the beginning of the year. They got better towards the end of the year. I mean, obviously they they did not play well versus Tennessee in that in the Orange Bowl. But aside from that, I mean, I think they they were getting better towards the end of the year, Clemson. So, I mean, I I think, yes, they'll they'll have a rebound year. They need clubbing. Yeah. One in a year, too. Yeah, I think he'll have a a good year. Um, Although, you know, it's, it's a thing where who even who even knows if Clemson will even be in the ACC for much longer with all conference realignment? It's a great segue, uh, out of I guess to, to close off this week's episode. Um, you know, let's talk about the carnage of conferences. We said two weeks ago the Pac-12 was going to be dead. Well, it is dead now. It is dead. Now, it's a, it's officially, officially dead. Um, there is there is no one left. Um, it's it's done with uh, Utah, Arizona, are, are officially joining the Big Twelve. Arizona's going to the Big Twelve as well. Um, Oregon and Washington were poached, and they're going to the Big Ten. Yep. So the 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 Pac twelve is is done with. Um, the la- the last four teams remaining: Oregon State, Arizona State, Washington State, and um. So it's it's Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. That's oh yeah, 
Florida. Yeah, yeah. Oregon State, well, yeah. Oregon State, Washington State, Cal Instead, yeah. What, what do you do if you're those four teams now? Particularly, what do you do if you're Washington State or Oregon State? You got to you know, go back to the Beavers and the Coops. I mean. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think. If you're Oregon, if you're Oregon State and Washington State, you might you I mean you might even think about just joining the Mountain West at this point. I mean, because I mean, what the 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 financial profile to be a a viable or enticing candidate? Yeah, I don't I don't really know what what options Washington State and Oregon State have other than joining like like the Mountain West or something like that. Um, I I don't really see many options for them aside from that. And I'm sorry, but Oregon and Washington said, "Oh, we want to protect our rivalries." You're not going. You're not gonna. They're not gonna get protected. They're gonna go away eventually. You can't protect those rivalries. No. For, yeah. No. Not. Not. Not at all. Um. Not. Not at all. In state. In state. Fellow in states was in the cold. Wow. And, you know, if you're the ACC, what do you do now if you're the ACC? Because now you're talking about Clemson, Florida State. Florida State being the loudest vocal uh, vocalizer. They want out of the ACC. Well, I mean, right? So what what the Florida State um, person had to say, though, was that they're they're being paid, like, their schools are getting paid like thirty million dollars less in their TV rights deals. That's terrible. That's that's not going to help you build a winning program. Not compared to the Big Ten and SEC who are getting, what well, as he said, like thirty million more. That's that, the, not in this big spending NIL. Yeah, that's, that's never that's never going to work. Um, never. So. Is the ACC the next conference, Tyler? I I think the ACC is in trouble too, for sure. I it's I think the ACC is absolutely in trouble, much like the Pac-12. I mean, if 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 what if what the Florida State guy was saying is true, then yeah, it, teams are gonna leave for sure. Like Clemson and Florida State in particular are gonna leave if they want to build winning programs that can compete at the highest level, they're going to leave. Where's that leave a team like Miami? Well, I think Miami could leave too. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think, you know, you I think a conference wants them though, because we've heard, we've heard from, in this conference, we've heard from uh, conference presidents, conference execs, that, uh, that the that certain brands that we think are iconic are not so financially valued. The Canes being one of those conferences, apparently Florida State is a far more. You know, I I don't know. I think Miami could be in a similar spot to Notre Dame. I was gonna say, do you think a school like Miami with their with seemingly their 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 newfound commitment to to finding 
external factors to finance and supply the yeah i i honestly think miami i think i honestly goes back to independent status i honestly think miami could be in a similar spot to notre dame right now um yeah i i think they could be in a very very similar spot to the irish um not necessarily in a conference but like a but still like aligned with a conference but technically independent um i mean they 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 definitely have the alumni and the boosters to do so one of the few schools that actually has that kind of infrastructure um so i i think they they're in to me they they have they're gonna be doing a lot of what notre dame does um for me um miami that's their only really way and pathway to success to be perfectly honest with you i think it's you know for them, it's like they're not at a state school. They're a private school, Miami. Chris May, they're a small private school. Um, you know, I over the years, I think as a brand, they've almost been... Uh, their brand has been uh, put in, in a similar light to a, a really strong public school. But I'm sure some people aren't aware. They're not a public school, guys. They're a private school, Miami. Yeah. So. So yeah, I I really do think that Notre Dame and them are going to be in a very similar situation. Great. And speaking, as we wrap this up real quick, we've talked about football, but I'm sure you've heard reading the tabloids. We've been hearing a lot about the other sports in all this conference realignment, particularly at schools like Washington, Oregon. As much as, you know, we as college football fans maybe don't like it, but we can get used to it. We can still enjoy it. Um, I guess how big of an impact does this have on all the other sports and all the other student athletes? that don't have the big football and basketball budgets. They rely on football and basketball to support their sports. And now their athletes are much more student than the big two. Well, and now so I, they have to travel really large distances just to play a conference game in season. Well, and I, and I think it's, it's, like, it's like for sports like... Um, like especially for like Oregon and Washington, like Oregon and Washington are good at are good at like track and field, softball. and 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 softball and, and water polo and stuff like that, right? But um, it's it's gonna be harder. It's gonna be a lot harder for for, for those for those for those athletes to um w- with this whole conference alignment shift thing. Gonna it's gonna be harder for sure. Um. With, with all these other sports. I think there's going to come a point in time where there's a tipping. It's just, yes, you're, you're growing your football brand, but you're doing it, in a sense, at the expense of every other non-rev, or every non-revenue sport in your athletic department. Um, you know, like some of these college baseball players and these players, as these college baseball players and some of these other student athletes were saying, um, you know, as a former student athlete myself, 
uh, I can vouch for this. I can I can vouch for their plight. Um, but you know, uh, the best that that even a big bigger major big time D one schools, the best that these non revenue sports can do is uh is fly. But they don't get to fly like the football guys in, in you know uh, first class or in luxury and you know don't get uh, as much amenities taken care of as well. Uh, they got to fly economy. Oh yeah, they no for sure. Boats. And you know they'll fly in for a weekend and then they'll fly out and they'll be coming in on Monday, crack it on, and then they gotta get up early for workouts and for practice. Yeah. And no, it's it's gonna it's gonna have it's gonna have big ramifications. And also, b- before we wrap this up, how about some of the academic ramifications we could see um, with with like wh- wherever Stanford and Cal end up, right? wherever Berkeley and Stanford end up, how about some of the academic things that could that could go down with, with that? I mean, like, especially if Stanford and Cal go to, like, the Big Ten or something like that. I mean, that then you're looking at Ohio State, Michigan, um, Stanford, Cal, like, so, some of the uh, better schools in the country um, academically in in the same conference um so it, it there, there could be academic ramifications as well it with certainly this. raises your academic profile for the big Ten. oh for sure if, if, a conference if, of athletic excellence or a conference of academic excellence as well yeah if, if you're the big ten for sure the best well we hold some of the best public research universities in the country or Right. Or, well, and we hold uh, a couple very uh, rigorous and high uh, academic achieving private schools. Yeah, no. So, yeah. Stanford, Northwestern. Yeah. So the, the, the Big Ten would have would have some really, really ac- some really good academic prowess if, if Stanford and Cal were to move to the Big Ten. Certainly sure. would be interesting to develop, man. You know. Right before we sign off, I guess where where do you see the tipping point in all of this? The tipping point between school and the university and academics, and and big money. This could a balance is going to have to be struck eventually. Whether it's whether it's now or sometime in the future, there is going to have to be a balance that is struck. The the they're going to have to weigh weigh the options and 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 it's going to there's going to have to be a balance here they're going to have to they're going to have to figure out how to be able to weigh it to a certain point where one does not severely outmatch the other cuz when that happens i mean it it falls apart when that happens you're, you're going to lose your whole you're going to lose a lot of your athletic department as, as we've talked about um, you know and for people that maybe don't understand the 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 financial structure of college sports um football and big time college basketball have a lot of the money have a lot of the money they generate by a ginormous amount 
almost all of the revenue. And, uh, and folks, they are the reason that your favorite college lacrosse team or your favorite college soccer team gets some of the players they get and uh, gets some of the benefits they get. Yeah, for for sure. Subsidize a lot of this stuff, so it's really going to be interesting to see <laughs> almost how the 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 person in power, how uh, like you said, how this balances out, and if there's there's too much taken, what that does for everybody else. Yep. But anyways, I think that's gonna wrap it up for us, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. And yeah, thanks for joining us. So I'm Danny Shaw. And I'm Tyler Shaw. We'll talk to and you later. Sign out, guys.